and um, they were saying like, you know, tell me about some drama on the river. And I'm like, well, I don't think you understand. Like, yeah, it's kind of scary, but like big drama on the boat is like, we've run out of coffee. You know, and they're like, we can work with that. We can work with that. This is Todd Meiser for the Talking Pictures podcast. And we have taken the show on the road for the first time. And we are sitting in the, God, it's so beautiful here. We're in the Rock Island Marina, uh, Sunset Marina, with Wes Modes, California artist, man of the river. How's it going, man? Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, your podcast viewers can't see, but I've grown a really nice river beard, which proves that I'm now a man of the river, or that I don't have shaving equipment. <laughs> so your project is A Secret History of American River People. Tell us about that. I started looking up river history and found that there was a huge hole in the literature around um, rivers and river communities. There's a lot of stuff written about the ecological aspect of rivers, but very, very little written about the social ecology of river communities. And so I decided I had already wanted to float down uh, a river last summer, and I chose instead to um, uh, turn it into a project in which I was listening to the stories of people who worked and lived adjacent to the river um, and uh, sort of give that back to river communities. You're, this is a photo podcast. We talk about photo stuff. What kind of equipment are you using to record your stories and, you know, photographically and in video? So I'm using uh, a Canon DSLR, uh, sort of like the poor man's uh, uh, 5D. I'm using the 60D, and um, it's uh, in more than just a document of these uh, stories that people tell. I also want them to be very beautiful. And so, um, super tight framing on the interviews, um, and uh, good quality with a, um, I think a Sony wireless mic, uh, lavalier, and uh, so the idea is that these could be used in a feature documentary somewhere down the road, or um, they could be used for the original purpose, which is making this archive that people can just sort of wade through if you're a researcher wanting to know what are rivers and river communities like in 2015. And you started in 2014 and went from Minneapolis to La Crosse. Correct. And then you started again this year, went from La Crosse, and you're currently in the Quad Cities. Yeah. Uh, started in Leclerc. Had a boat. Pro had had engine problems, right? Yeah. Are engine problems like that common, or what? We I mean, what kind of problems do you run across on the river from a technical standpoint of of just getting from place to place? I imagine that people with more money and deeper pockets probably wouldn't have some of the problems I have. But I have a 1978 Mercury uh, engine, and on my little flat boat I have a you know 1968 uh, Johnson that we call Mr. Johnson. The Mercury is called Freddie Mercury, and um, those poor little motors uh, are beasts at pushing the boat, pushing this you know 20 foot flat bed flat boat house boat. Um, but at the same time, they're old motors. So when a motor from the 90s or the 2000s breaks down, then they just order a part, you know? But for me, it was like, you know, what old boy does somebody know who has a whole, uh, you know, backyard full of old motors? And that was what was what took so long while I was hanging out in lacrosse forever. 
So um, ultimately, you know, they got us on the road, and the people there at the Green Gables Marina were amazing. And uh, you know, I'm back afloat and back doing my interviews. Yep. The, uh, the I think we should probably describe, and we'll have a picture of it. The pictures that I took of you for the story for the newspaper uh, of the of the shanty boat that we're in. Tell us a little about the shanty boat. So a shanty boat for those I think shanty on a boat, right? So uh, like a, a rough hewn. Um, homemade houseboat, and that's exactly what it is. So I made it from the ground up, um, or waterline up, I guess, or below the waterline up. Um, it is a, f- a barge-bottom flat boat uh, that it looks like a barge underneath, and it's all made of plywood with fiberglass over it. Um, and then above decks, everything is reclaimed or recycled. So it looks like I've had uh, lock masters, I could hear them on the radio saying, you know, like, Peter, bring up those bring up those field glasses. I want to see this thing. I think someone's shed cut loose up river. <laughs> and so uh, it really does look like a shed on uh, going down river. It's a it's a gabled tin roofed shack. Some of the wood came from a 150 year old chicken coop that uh, we disassembled for somebody. And your and your uh, your co-pilot is licking my leg. Hello. That's Hazel. And so Hazel is the ship's hound, and uh, she was on the river for a month uh, with me last year, and she's been on the river with me for two and a half months this year, and will be for another another month still. And how is it to have a dog on the river? Uh, well, I mean, some people have like river dogs, and, you know, and they have to keep their goldens or their retrievers from leaping into the water. She's not so keen. Like, she would really stand and have very, very worried looks as I drown alongside the river. She would not come and rescue me. <laughs> She'd be worried about her food su- food supply. Uh, uh, I, I have a lab. I don't think my lab would jump in after me. So oh, I, I think a lab would jump in even if it didn't, even if you didn't want it to. I don't have to worry about that. That's a good point. And um, what kind of dog is she? Hazel is a, is a little porcine um, Australian cattle dog. So she's a mix of uh, Queensland Healer and Kelpie. And um, her priorities are really, really simple. Like, where am I? Where's her food? And where's her bed? So people ask me if she likes the river, and I'm like, I don't know if she likes the river, but she definitely likes sleeping under the table like she's doing right now or, or hanging out with me, which she does all the time. And she's a great dog. So if, as you've gone down the river and you've interviewed, how many people approximately have you interviewed? Uh, I think um, 50 total. 50 total. How many locally? I mean, you've, you've uh, been here a, a little bit extra long because mm-hmm. of bo- boat problems. Uh, I've probably interviewed a dozen people within the Quad Cities area. And uh, is there any kind of uh, thread that ties these people together? Is there some kind of pattern that you've found that starts to form? Or is everybody, uh, these traits that... People who love the river and are near the want to be near the river uh, share. I mean, people obviously love the river, um, and actually, there was a couple of people I've interviewed who were kind of indifferent to the river, but lived in river communities and and were essential to those communities and did things like keep bees or work at a work as a server or work at a you know whatever they did, um, and uh, for sure, people for the most part love the river and play on the river and, and have, you know, raised in the area and have had boats since they were kids. Um, beyond that, I'm not sure that there's a common thread because part of what I'm trying to do is not just interview all the same kind of people, but interview some people who maybe feel distant from the river 
And in some ways, that's part of the river story. Why are some people? Why do some people have access to the river and some people don't? Why do some people interested in the river because, or and some people maybe not because they didn't grow up with the river. Maybe they grew up in the river community, but you know their families didn't have boats and didn't take them to the river. Why is that? Who 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 gets to use the river? Uh, and that's part of what I'm always trying to do is to try to look beyond just the most obvious to look to see who has a really different perspective. Has anybody surprised you? Like your your quick take of them was A, and they turned out to be G or Q or F, you know, when you were, you walked up to them and you're like, oh, this person's going to be interesting, I've got them kind of pre, pre kind of uh, interviewed in your head real quickly, you know, in journalism you, you kind of have to, you know, you try to find someone that might help fit the narrative or to be a different narrative, you're like, I, this person's going to be different, I know that this person's going to be different just by looking at them, and then, no. I think there was um, a woman that I interviewed in the Quad Cities. Her name is um, uh, Mary Costello, and she wrote a book, uh, I guess, in the 90s that was every bridge that crossed the Mississippi, and not just the main channel, but even all the little tiny bridges on the back channels and stuff. And um, she was in her 90s, and she surprised me by being just one of the most spunky, energetic, uh, outspoken, um, just such a, like, laser-focused mind. Um, and, and that surprised me. Do the, um, is, what's the challenge of living on this boat, which is fairly sparse, though very comfortable, by the way, um, and and you needing the equipment that you need to do. Do you have a battery issues? You know, we, we, we were we did something on the podcast. One of the guys who does the podcast with me, his wife is ready to divorce him because he's got so many battery chargers all over the house. You know, to, to do his job. I mean, you've got to deal with batteries. You got to deal with power issues. I mean, it's fa- fairly you know Spartan. So the boat itself has um, a full galley, a work table because I do work, a comfy couch. There's a bed loft up above the kitchen, and uh, <laughs> which Todd oh, is no, looking at. I don't think Todd before. ever saw that before. Yeah. Um, that's where I sleep. Um, and on the boat, I've had a series of uh, ship's mates, and those ship's mates have both served as the ship's mate, but also as like the production assistant for the for the project. And so that means that they bring with them. Um, this attention to detail where they're like making sure there's enough AA batteries in the bag for the for the Sony wireless lav, right? Uh, making sure that the, all the batteries for the DSLR are charged, making sure that the cards are constantly offloaded from um, you know, SD cards to uh, our hard drives, right? Um, those things are challenging to do if you're just anchored in a backwater somewhere. I have a little solar cell that sits on the back of the porch, on the back porch, and it maybe tops off the batteries if you're like charging your phone or using a little LED light at night to read. But what they don't what it doesn't do is like comfortably power my like 85 watt laptop, you know. Um so typically what I'll do is, you know, we're not we're not in the desert. We're on a river that's full of river communities, and we're intentionally stopping in all those river communities. So when we do, we, you know, if we go to a coffee shop, we bring our coffee cup, and we bring our char- our two chargers and all of our dead batteries and 
you know, our SD card and our laptop, and we do all the work that we need to do. When I'm um, stopped in a marina, that's awesome because you know sometimes I'll have Wi-Fi and power, and I use that to my advantage. So like right now, right behind me, there's two chargers charging the battery because I had an interview this morning. Does the um, in the backing up of your raw material? Do you back to the cloud, or are you st- or are your hard? Do you have separate hard drives that leave the boat and go with your production assistant? I mean, are things double backed up, or is if the first, God forbid, the boat goes down, do the hard drives go down with it, and that's it? Yeah, it would. I had all these plans originally, and thinking like oh, I would, you know, write them to DVD, and then I would send them home. It's like no, or I'd write them to the cloud. It's like, you know, these are like hour and a half long you know hd quality videos these right. are you're not writing them on hard drives or i mean you're not writing them on a onto a dvd right, right. <laughs> you know you're not going to back them up to the cloud unless you had like a you know t3 cable running to the boat right and so um the fact is is like you know what would be the most prudent is if i had like some wacky series of like hard drives always being swapped out but as it is i just back up everything to a couple hard drives um, and if the boat went down, well, I'd suck, and I guess those would be really damp. Um, and <laughs> I guess I would pay recovery to have right. them recovered, right? Right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of challenging just dealing with the large quantity of data that I'm dealing with on the on the thing. Yeah. What kind of cards are you using? From I mean, we get asked all sorts of interesting, like super minute type technical questions that we we don't contemplate. Uh-huh. So, uh, in, in anticipation of said, oh, and look, and you had them in, uh, oh, in an old film container, an old 35 millimeter film container. Yeah, but this is the wrong one. Oh, I see. I switched the. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a little moment of terror. Um, here's the one. That... Um, so, for your super, super technical audience, I'm using 32 gig uh, SD SanDisk and Transcend cards uh, these are series 10 uh, that's about all you need to know which um, this one claims 40 megabytes a second and this one claims 90 megabytes a second I like the word the fact that you added the word claim it's always a claim right? <laughs> <laughs> you know enough about it to, yeah, to hear the to hear the humor in that. that's right the, the guy who designed them doesn't have to use them <laughs> the guy who designed them is like guys i think these can probably get like 30 what do you are you gonna put 90 on there that doesn't seem right <laughs> <laughs> but I, lo- I love the fact that they're in old third co- i believe kodak 35 millimeter uh film canisters, the old black with the gray top, and you've uh, had exposed and clear written on the top of them. I, mm-hmm. I, I find that, uh, being a guy of film, you know, I started my career with film. Right. So I, th- I think that when I got these out during the last interview, I think that my interviewee thought I was going to, like, load up a pipe. Because <laughs> I don't think anybody ever has used film containers for anything uh, <laughs> related to film in a while. Well, I use the... Uh, uh, I, I started stashing them at the end of the film era where the we used to roll our film out 100 film 100 foot uh, rolls so you would re-roll your own 36 rolls and I saved as many of those metal cans as possible because they're great for 
anything. Oh, those are great. You know, yeah, and they're screw top as yeah, well, and then right? You got the you got the smokers that come over. That that's what the ashtrays at my house are. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? or they got pens and all sorts of. I mean, it's you know. So I, I gave one to our intern recently, and she's like, "What's this?" That ruins your claim to youth to have those lying all over your house. Uh, that's I, a, I don't need that, any claim to youth. <laughs> that's definitely put you old school. I'm, I I'd rather be old school. So, uh, is there anything that you've uh, discovered in the Quad Cities that was uh, unique? Oh, uh, unique. Um, it's funny. Like as I go down, um, as I go down the river, uh, sometimes the things that I crave the most after two and a half months on the river are some of the things that feel familiar. <laughs> so, like I kind of fell in love with. Uh, you know, I'm from Santa Cruz, California, and I kind of fell in love with uh, what's the restaurant in Rock Island, Mama. Oh, Mama Compton's. Mama Compton's, and, and I loved Theo's Coffee Shop, and uh, I love the farmer's market. You know, so here's a person from California having culture envy over the beautiful, amazing Saturday and Sunday farmer's market um, oh. in Davenport. Yeah, it's great. And you, as we were coming in, you were saying today's the most beautiful day ever. Oh, I mean, this it is, is just. Gorgeous. Um, have you ever had anybody come up to you and say you're crazy? No, no, I don't think so. Um, I think people are always a little bit surprised that I made the boat from the, you know, the whole boat, right? People are always asking, like, what do you have under there? And then at that point, they're like, oh, you know, like, wow, that's something I couldn't do. It is something they could do, but they don't know it yet. Um, I think the thing that I hear the most is not you're crazy, but, like, I've always wanted to do this. People say, I've always wanted to do this. And I'm like, me too, and that's why I'm doing it. So what do you do during the winter? When you're not doing this? Um, well, previously, for the last couple of years, I was a student at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and I was getting my uh, master's in fine arts. And so um, that was great. I was, like, paid to be a grad student, which just, that's awesome. And um, But now they've, like, chucked me out onto the street, a so-called master of the fine arts, and uh, now I'll actually have to, like, pay my way and be a real person. Um but uh, I'll be teaching in spring. Um, I'm teaching an art class at the university, uh, uh, programming for the arts. Um, but in the meantime, I'll be working on both production for this project, but also like you know to pay my mortgage and stuff. I'll be just hustling and um, you know picking up whatever classes at the university there are to teach, and uh, you know helping friends out with whatever dumb IT jobs they have going or whatever. What do you at, what do you edit your video in? Uh, I'm a Adobe Premiere sort of person. Um, a lot of people started their lives in Final Final Cut Pro, and uh, but a lot of people are going to Premiere, I think. Um, and I don't know. It's I'll say that I am a talented novice, maybe level. Mm -hmm. um, I for my most of the stuff that I do, it's relatively simple. I mean, I know how to get around. I know how to do stuff. I don't know all the clever shortcuts. I had the good fortune, one of the neat things about being a graduate student is that you get to work with these amazing, talented undergrads, and it's like uh, somewhere between exploitation and awesome, um, where uh, these undergrads would work for me in terms of credit and experience, and but also because they liked the project, and they taught me so much, so it was like, yeah, I was the, uh, ostensibly the instructor of the course, and I'm sure they learned some things from me, but I learned a lot from them. And so 
they showed me like oh, this is the way we, we do it and they were such talented uh, producers of content and they helped me with production of stuff we were doing and trailers for the project and stuff and so a lot of the smoothest coolest professionalist looking stuff uh, that the project features is thanks to these the collaboration of these other artists who are yeah we, we'll embed your trailer uh, your, it's like five minute trailer it doesn't seem there's like a, five minutes there's a five minute trailer and then there's also like a two minute trailer yeah uh, I watched the five minute before I came over and I and it uh, it doesn't it's just visually really smooth and and cool and and it doesn't it just goes by and I'm like wow I gotta go to my meeting you know mm -hmm. I mean I was like <laughs> oh I got you know I, I watch this before I go into my meeting then go to the interview and it just it was well done I mean, it was, it yeah. was well edited These and well are put together. Thanks to, uh, um, uh, oh, I can't remember, Lauren Kincaid Philby uh, did that five minute interview or five minute trailer, and then um, uh, another graduate student or another undergrad did the two minute trailer. There's a couple of those actually. So, do you plan to come out next summer, or is this going to be, you know, you're, you're gonna, your plan is to get to St. Louis? So I'm going to get to St. Louis this year, and so my plan next year is I will probably do a different river. So from the beginning, the project is, I don't even think we really talked about the project. We assume that people knew a little right. bit about that. Yep. So the Secret History of American River People is this project to collect the uh, stories of people who live and work on the river. And um, it's from the beginning planned to be a multi-year, multi-river project. Uh, it's a framework in which there's lots of like ways that it expresses itself as an archive, as an art installation that gets cited at different museums and galleries, um, as, as a, an interactive web documentary, maybe down the road a feature documentary, and some books will come out of this for sure. Um, and the idea is that I start with the Mississippi uh, last year and this year, um, maybe the lower Mississippi at some other time, um, but next year I'll be maybe on the Tennessee or the Arkansas or the, um, I don't know, the Chattahoochee or something. Um, there's all these rivers uh, that have so much history. And while the, the environment's different and the place is different and the people are a little different, um, the concerns that river people have and share, uh, share, I think, will have a lot of commonality. Is there a story telling challenge to avoid cliches? I just haven't run into that many, you know, cliches. It's like the people are so unique and their story is so genuinely interesting. The questions I'm asking people are not like, tell me an interesting story. It's like, tell me about your life. Tell me about what motivates you. What does the river mean to you? Um, what are some significant moments that you have interacting with the river? What does it mean to be connected to a river community? Is that endangered? What are the conflicts in these river communities? Those stories are, are like what I was telling an interviewee today. She's like, well, you know, like I'm not the most knowledgeable person about the river. And I'm like, but you're the most foremost expert in the life of you. And that life is really what's interesting. So everything, it's not about river history so much as it's about a reflection of that history and your personal history um, through your eyes. How would you describe, if you were interviewing yourself, how would you describe your relationship with the river? 
Oh, well, I don't know if I could step out of myself exactly, but, um, I mean, obviously I have a deep love of the river. And because the adventure that I'm on is so interesting to folks, um, it puts me and my story, my personal story, in this privileged position. And as much as I try to, like, not privilege that, to make it so that it's about the stories of the people that I'm talking to, um, people are really interested in that. People are interested in my experience and, and how these people's stories are reflected through my eyes, right? And I've had to, like, over time kind of admit that that's real and that's that's okay. And so um, I'm always both trying to, like, <laughs> divert people and saying, like, look, look over there, there's some really interesting people that I've been talking to. And saying, like, okay, well, and I hear you want to know what's going on with the project, here it is. So, you know, here's these people we met, or here's this experience we had, or here's this stupid thing that we did and almost died, you know. So tell me about almost dying. Uh, well, I think, like, out on the river you're almost always dying, but, um... I think, actually, I might be exaggerating a little bit, I think that what we tend to do is these, um, kind of small, small disasters, you know, like, we're coming in hot to a dock, and there's a strong current, and a wind, and we just ram the dock, and, you know, tear off a big section of rub rail or something, you know, on the side of the boat, and it's like, okay, well, now we have to spend a day, uh, finding materials and repairing that, and it's stupid, and it's dumb, and it's okay, and it's part of river life, you know, you you're out and you're not in a familiar environment and you're dealing with adverse conditions. Um, in fact, like, um, there was a reality television show that was really interested in, uh, the project before really it had gotten started. And, um, but I'd had a lot of like experience, like, uh, floating these homemade river boats. And, um, they were saying like, you know, tell me about some drama on the river. And I'm like, well, I don't think you understand. Like, yeah, it's, kind of scary but like big drama on the boat is like we've run out of coffee you know and they're like we can work with that we can work with that <laughs> and so we start the dog's got to go to the bathroom right oh, drama drama on the shanty boat and so we started a thing that we like a little parody series on this journey that we with one of with all my ship's mates so far and that we've been calling shanty boat guys and uh, partly because the series that they wanted to create, the reality TV series, was called Shanty Boat Men, which we said, that's going to alienate exactly 51% of your audience right away, right? And um, so then we'd have these, like, super dramatic moments, like, I'm driving, where do I put my beer? There's no beer hold, there's no cup holder here near the steering wheel, you know, next on Shanty Boat Guys, or, you know, we've run out of coffee. Serious situation, we'll need to stop at a co-op and get organic fair trade coffee that's right uh, fine I, ground i see i see a fair number of you enjoy whiskey right am i right In, i'm currently enjoying whiskey You're, actually. right exactly <laughs> uh and um for the record todd turned me down because yeah, he's working he said that's right um the uh do you have a favorite whiskey oh of course uh i think that the one that somebody gave me right before i left which is empty. Which is empty. It's called High West. That's awesome. <laughs> Which I think was High West before he modified it. Yes, he did. You can see where the sticker <laughs> with the little star is. Um, so that was my current favorite. I also make... Uh, since you're always Don't working, tell me there's a still on always, this boat. You're always working when I see you, Todd. So 
we'll have to hang out a little bit. But this is actually um, a bourbon infusion that I make that's a peachy fire whiskey. Wow. And so it has, um, it's infused with habaneros and fresh Georgia peaches. Dr. Thunder's peachy fire whiskey with uh, three skull and, uh, skull and crossbones on there. So I've made this. Put since a picture of that on the podcast. <laughs> so I've made this since 2001. Um, it uses Thai dragon, dragon peppers and habanero chilies. So this uh, is my favorite um, torture device. This is I get my interviewees <laughs> to talk. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, I see that uh, Hazel is taking a nap on my camera, which uh -huh. is good. I think we've come to the conclusion, but I can't thank you enough of coming on the podcast. Well, this is our first solo trip out. I've nice. deserted my two compatriots. They're probably still sitting in the studio wondering where I am. Good. And uh, and I uh, can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast with us and talking about your project because it's really cool. We'll put links to all your stuff on the blog so that people can find you. Great. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate you coming out, and uh, I'll see you downriver. I'm probably headed out today. So. Awesome. The Talking Pictures Podcast is a production of The Dispatch, The Rock Island Argus, and QCOnline.com. To see some of the photos and videos discussed in our podcast, be sure to go to talkingpicturespodcast.blogspot.com. Talking Pictures is produced by Todd Meisner, Paul Coletti, and Todd Walvert. Thanks to Laura Anderson-Shaw, Meg McLaughlin, Laura Frames, and Randy Fisk. The music was provided by Kevin McLeod at www.incomputech.com. Make sure you subscribe to Talking Pictures on iTunes or SoundCloud.